This is higher so who God. Safely. I hate you. <laughs> oh, the first thing I want to know, did Lucy get her driver's license? Uh, not yet. Okay. Maybe um, a couple of days later, But she passed the, the, the test and they're going to mail her the license or what? So what day are you going to buy her a car? (laughs) (laughs) Just checking. Um, First of all, as an aside, um... Psalm 139 says, as soon as I find it, well, it used to be there. Psalm 139, oh, verse 4 says, Even before there's a word in my tongue, or on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. There is the text for silent praying. So you don't have to pray out loud. The Lord knows it all even before you say it. So a lot of times I prefer to pray to myself and There's the text for it. We're going to be in the book of Judges, mainly an overview of Judges, because what I want to get to is Samson. And um, we'll only look at a little bit of Samson today, because I want to sort of skirt around it and give an overview of what Judges is about so that we can maybe look at Samson a little more intelligently when we get there. So many people, it seems that uh, what we know about Samson is what we've heard as children, and we know that he slew people with a a jawbone of a donkey. We know that he had his hair cut and lost his strength because of his affiliation with that sweetheart Delilah but beyond that we really don't know anything about Samson and there's a whole lot more to his story than just that Um, I think that the key to understanding the book of Judges and the decline of the people of Israel 
is found in the second chapter of Judges, one verse there. It tells you what happens and why we are expecting it to happen. Judges 2.10 says, All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, and yet the work which he had once done, or he had done for Israel. So right a number of years after Joshua dies, you have another generation, and they don't know anything about what God had done for them in the hundreds of years before. How he had called them to be a nation, how he had delivered them from Egypt, been with them through 40 years in the desert, helped them conquer the promised land for the most part. They didn't remember. Another generation after Joshua grew up who did not know the Lord or what he had done for Israel. Israel's rest and Israel's blessing depend on obedience to the Lord. And you can't be obedient without knowing God well. If you don't know what he says, and if it's not emblazoned in your heart, then how are you going to keep his word? You'll wander all over the place not knowing if you're keeping God's word diligently or not. And when you drift away from God, and the key word is drift, because it happens slowly most of the time. You don't realize what's going on, because, and all of a sudden one day you wake up and you go, well, I'm not where I used to be. I used to believe this, and now I'm not sure anymore. Because you drift away from God. You drift away from a personal relationship with God, and you lose the ability to trust him and obey him. You can't trust somebody you don't know. And what's the point in obeying somebody if you don't know them and you don't trust them? You won't do it. Judges 1.28 reads, When Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor but they did not drive them out completely. God says when you go into this promised land, get rid of everybody in it. They're all pagans. They all worship false gods. They will draw you away from me. You'll end up marrying their sons and marrying their daughters. You'll be just like them. Get rid of them. But a lot of them didn't do that. They decided that they would rather, when they conquered these people, they'd rather have them as slaves than to obey what God said and get rid of them. And it cost them dearly. It caused them to drift away from the Lord and not know who he was anymore. They valued slaves more than God's command. We're going to look at the life of Samuel, I mean, excuse me, Samson, and he's the last judge in the book of Judges. And I think you'll find that there's a whole lot more to know about him than what... Like I said, we found out when we were children. One theologian says that he began to study diligently the life of Samson as a result of going to an opera 
in the city of San Diego, and the opera was Samson and Delilah. And as he was reading the notes for the program before the opera started, he was aware that the Jewish community in San Diego was a great supporter of the opera. And so uh, because of that, the opera personnel had asked this rabbi, he had, they asked the chief rabbi in the city of San Diego to write some notes about Samson. And the chief rabbi said, Jews never preach about Samson, neither on the regular days or on the high holy days. And the reason they never speak about Samson is because he is not considered a man of good character. He does not, they don't want anybody to emulate Samson. He's not regarded as a righteous man. And he's not inspiring for righteous living. You know, it's easy to understand why he would think this, and the Jewish community would think that, because when you read about the life of Samson, you're going to see that there's a lot of things in his life that are not good. Uh, Things you do not want to copy. But think about what the rabbi says, and then think about what the book of Hebrews says. Because the book of Hebrews lists Samson among the faithful. So here you've got two opinions. You've got the Jewish community that never talks about Samson because he's not a righteous man. You get Hebrews that list him among the hall of faith. What you've got here is a contrast between two religions. You've got rabbinic religion and you've got apostolic religion. And the rabbis in rabbinic religion, the Jewish religion, what you've got is their approach to religion is achieved righteousness. Achieved righteousness means that we gain righteousness by the way we live our lives. So if you live a good life, your righteousness increases. Contrast that with apostolic, with Christianity. We are righteous because the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. It's because we believe in Christ, his righteousness is accounted to us. We don't gain righteousness by the way we live. We would never gain righteousness if that's the way it came. Because we are sinners. Even when we're Christian, we're still sinners. We still sin. So the righteousness that we have comes from Christ. It's the grace of God. So you've got a contrast. The Jews, you become more righteous as you act righteously. But that's not the way Christianity is. Christianity is that it comes from Jesus. It's the grace of God. John Milton, one of the great authors in English literature, wrote a book called Paradise Lost. And he also wrote a poem called Samson Agonistes. And Agonistes means struggling. So the point is Samson and his struggles. And what he says 
in his poem is that Samson is a mirror of our fickle estate. He's a mirror of us. He's a mirror of how unreliable we are. So when we look at Samson, we should look at him as a mirror of ourselves and act according to what that shows us. Another author, John Updike, called Samson an enigma, a riddle. He's this way, he's this way, he's this way. So Samson shows us pitfalls to avoid, but he also shows us the way to Christ. Between the lines, the Old Testament tells us, not in these words, but you can figure it out very easily. The Old Testament tells us you need a prophet, but you need a perfect prophet. You need a priest, but you need a perfect priest. You need a king, but you need a perfect king. And you need a judge, but you need a perfect judge. The Bible shows us kings that were fairly good. They show us prophets that were fairly good, priests that were fairly good, and judges that were fairly good, but none of them were perfect. And they all point to the fact that we need a perfect king. We need a perfect priest. We need a perfect prophet. And we need a perfect judge. So the perfect one has to come. And so it all points to the need that we have to have. And the need is in Jesus. We get into trouble when we take individual verses and read them out of context. And we also get into trouble when we take individual sections of Scripture and we take them out of context. You know, it's true that we can take a verse of Scripture and read it, and that verse is true. But we can't take that verse and apply it to our lives and say, okay, this is for me on this day. Tomorrow I'll get a new verse and it's for me on this day. It's like playing magic sometimes. It's not wrong, but it's easy to get in trouble when you do that. And it's easy to get in trouble when you take one verse out of Samson and apply it to the whole book. You have to read it in context. First of all, obviously, Samson's a judge. And most scholars believe that there are 12 judges in the book of Judges. There's some disagreement, but that's by and large what they believe. We're only told very much about six of them. And six of them are almost a a byproduct. Maybe there's one or two verses about them. So we don't know enough about them to really comment. The first judge was Othniel. And he was the son of Caleb's brother. And he married Caleb's daughter. So we see how he fits in as a judge. And he judged Israel for 40 years. And then after him was a judge called Ehud. And he's the one that slew the king of Moab. And it's said that the land of Israel had peace for 80 years. And next was a judge called Shamgar. And we've got one verse about him. We know he's a judge because it says so. We absolutely know nothing about him. 
And then we have perhaps one of the best judges, Deborah. And she's linked with a man called Barak. And Barak is a very prominent man, but he's not a judge. And they judged the Amorites and subdued them. And Israel had peace for 40 years. And Deborah is raised up as a mother in Israel because the fathers fail and don't step up. And after Deborah, we have Gideon. And Gideon is one of those men that start out very well and end up not very well. So it's a lesson that as you get older, you're not necessarily going to do better. You need to maintain your faith. You need to grow. You need to be strong. You need to maintain your your walk with God. Gideon subdued Midian. I mean, yeah, Gideon subdued Midian. And Israel had peace for 40 years. Notice these peace for 40 years, 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. And as you get further into the book of Judges, you're going to see the time gets less and less and less because the judges get less and less spiritual. They walk with God in a way that's not good more and more and more. And so the time that Israel has peace is less and less. The time period of the book of Judges is around 410 years. So you can't read Judges as a book of history. It's a book of snapshots. A shot here, a shot here, another picture here, and large gaps between some of the pictures. And sometimes these judges overlap because they're not judges for the whole country of Israel. If you look at the size of Israel at the time, you'll see that this judge judged this area, this judge was in this area, this judge was over here, and sometimes they overlap. So we have to be careful reading history. That's a good way to have people hate history. Make them memorize every little detail when they don't matter. You need an overview. That's why so many people hate history. You're made to memorize details that have no significance most of the time. Anyway, after Gideon, you have (coughs) Abimelech, Gideon's son. And his name means my father is king. So he's not really a judge. If you want to call him anything, you would call him an anti-judge, against judges, because what he does is terrible. God never calls him a judge. And um, again, you will see that he is somebody that claims a throne that's not his. And then after him, we have Tola and Jair, each judge for 20 years, and you just have a couple of verses on both of them. Then you get to Jephthah, who's the only person among all the people of Israel that ever offered a human sacrifice. And we won't get into his story. Probably he didn't offer a He didn't actually kill his daughter, but he promised a vow that was very foolish, and we could look at that later. And then you have Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. Three judges that we don't know anything about. They only have a couple of verses each to their name. 
And then we get to Samson, the last judge. And his story is the longest of all the judges. It's just slightly longer than the one about Gideon. Now, we know there were other judges because if you go to the book of 1 Samuel, you'll see Eli was a judge and Samuel was a judge. And there may have been more judges in this book of judges, but they're not ones that God wants us to know anything about. They're not listed. So again, this is just a snapshot of Israel. It's not, to be, it's not meant to be comprehensive history. What these snapshots are showing us is a country in decline. You've got a people suffering as they drift further and further from the Lord. You see it, when, I, like I mentioned, when you see how long the judges rule. This is decline. They're not, just ex- they're not experiencing the blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord is getting less and less as they themselves get further and further away from the Lord. And another sign of the judgment is how many children they have. In the Old Testament, children are a blessing of the Lord. The more you have, the more blessed the people perceived yourself to be because they saw it as God's blessing. When you get to Gideon, you ready for this? He had 70 sons. Um, I'm not sure how many wives he had. If it was only one, Lord help her. But um, his son, Abimelech, killed them all. Killed all of his brothers to make way for his stealing the throne. And then you get to Jephthah. He only had one daughter. And he said he was going to kill her. You get to Samson. He had zero children. So you see the decline in the number of children, as well as in the number of years they reigned and the blessing on Israel. So if you're not careful, you don't see this. You just it, it, It's blank. You just read the story and you go, well, well. But it shows that when God's hand of blessing is off of you, there are signs. Not only in the way you behave, but in the way the whole country responds to your own failings. You might want to say, why is this crazy Samson in the story? Why is he a judge? Because it's showing the spiritual decline of Israel. For most of the time, most of the judges in Israel, the judges are better than the people. They're an example to the people. But by the time you get to Samson... He's spiritually no different than the people. He is Israel. All of his failings are the failings of Israel. He's nothing to look at and go, there's our example. The judges in the book of Judges are not judges the way we think of judges. They're more like governors. They're more like military leaders in most cases. But they're not a a judicial judge like we think of. They're leaders who lead and protect Israel from their enemies. Even though they're also described not just as judges, they're they're described as deliverers. 
And not just deliverers from their enemies, but deliverers from their sins. Again and again, Israel rebelled against God and embraced the lifestyle and the gods of the surrounding people. So in effect, what God is saying that if this is what you want, if you want to be like them, then I'm going to show you what it's like to embrace sin. I'm going to show you what it's like when you walk away from me and you say you want to be like everybody else. And what happens is that they go like this. The blessing of the Lord is taken away from them. They're conquered by their enemies. And for many of these years, Israel is in the promised land. And in the land that's promised to them, they're slaves. Because they disobey what God says. They walk away from the Lord. At the very beginning of the book of Judges, we see the tribe <coughs> pardon me, of Judah faithfully opposing the enemies of God. So Judah is highlighted at the beginning as the faithful tribe. Then at the very end of the book of Judges, you see the spotlight is shining on the tribe of Benjamin. And what Benjamin does is a horror. It's worse than anything anybody has done. You'll have to read it. We're not going to go into it right now. But God just looks at Benjamin and calls it an absolute horror. And in particular, not just the tribe of Benjamin, but the tribe of Benjamin that lives in the city of Gibeah. This is where the horror originates. And never in Israel's history has anything happened like the behavior of Benjamin in that city. And who's born in Gibeah? Saul, the first king of Israel. You would have thought that later in the book of 1 Samuel, when Saul was chosen as king, the people would have stood up and said, What? Not him. Anybody but him. He's a Benjaminite, a Benjamite, and he was born in Gibeah. And everybody knows the horrible things. The tribe of Benjamin was almost wiped out because of what they did. They would have said, not a Benjamite. We want somebody from Judah. Not Saul. We want David. Now, of course, we know that God is the one that directed this. But in the natural you would say, what? Why in the world would you ever want this man? Israel needs a king, but they need the right king. So we see that Israel in the book of Judges and all, actually all the way through the Old Testament going up and down and each time they go up, they don't go up as far and each time they go down, they go down further. Being faithful, and then they turn away from God. They repent, and God blesses them, and they come back to God. And then the whole process starts all over. We think that's sad, but the history of the church is a lot like that too. So we can't say, rotten Israel, why don't you ever get it? If you don't believe it, look at the letter Paul writes to 
Corinthians, how bad they were. Believers, and then they did some horrible things. We actually are going to get to Samson now. We're going to look at just the first chapter, and that's in 13, Judges 13. Verse 1 says, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. You'll see that over and over again. So that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is important because eyes, very important all the way through the book of Samuel. They're prominent in Samson's life. And in fact, they're prominent, they're prominent in the Lord's eyes. Samson's eyes control him in everything he does. And he gets in trouble over and over and over again. Eyes are the key to everything. Judges 10.6 reads this way. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So each one of these pagan tribes that surround Israel, Philistines on one side, the Ammonites over here, Moab down here, all around them, they all worship idols. Things they make with their hands and bow down before. Israel continued to see the idols of these people Idols they could see. And they said, we can't see our God. We see them. We want something we can see. And so they grabbed hold of the idols of the people around them. And they departed from God. This is what God solemnly warned them against in the book of Deuteronomy. The people are warned against any images... Not an image of man, no image of animals, no image of fish, not the sun, not the moon, stars, no images. No idols that you can look at and see because it will draw you away. Your eyes will deceive you and I'll depart from you. Moses said, so watch yourself carefully since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Sinai from the midst of the fire. When God spoke to them, they never saw what God looked like. God did not allow it because he knows that if, that's why these pictures of Jesus you see. Nobody knows what Jesus looks like. Because if we see a picture of God, we'll go, oh, Let's bow down. Here's the picture. We'll end up worshiping the picture, the statue. God says, no images. You never saw my form. You are not allowed to worship an idol. Get rid of them. They will draw it, drag you down. They will be your downfall. Stay away from them. 
And the people of Israel violated God's command again and again. The beginning of Samson's story in 13 that we just read says God gave Israel into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Why? Because of idolatry, because they were worshiping these idols. Israel is enslaved again in their own country. So what will God do? He's going to raise up a judge. But the judges are becoming more and more sinful, thus obedient. One of the first things to notice about Samuel is that 25% of the Samuel story doesn't even talk about Samuel. It talks about his parents. And that's what chapter 13 is about. Samson's parents. In Samson's life, we see that there are four women that are prominent. His mother, the Philistine woman that he marries, the harlot or prostitute that he goes into, and Delilah. And out of these four, only one has a name, and that's Delilah. So women, for good or bad, mostly bad, cause Samson all kinds of trouble because of his eyes. He sees it, he wants it. I'm going to take it. Doesn't matter what God said, my eyes are leading my life. Thirteen two, the second verse in chapter 13, says Samson's father was a man named Manoah, and Manoah's wife had no children. If we read verses 3 through 5, it says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So right away, he's called a judge. He's called a deliverer, which is what the judges are. And he's going to take, when he's born, a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow was a a special group of people in Israel that were called to, to consecrate, separate themselves to God. No drinking. And his hair is not to be cut. This was a mark, a special dedication. People could see a Nazarite and see his long hair. He never touched wine or strong drink. And they knew that he was consecrated, separated to God. His life was different than the majority of people. He had a special calling from God. The word Nazarite means separated. Samson's to be separated to the Lord. There's nothing particularly special about long hair. It's about having a constant reminder that your life is to be different. It's to be consecrated to the Lord. 
We think about Samson, and the first word you think about if you talk about Samson is strong, strength. But nowhere in this first chapter is the word strong mentioned. What is mentioned is the word separated, consecrated. So, because he was not separated in the way he walked his life out, you see the problem with Samson's life. God wants us to think about him as being separated, and that's why his, that's his failure to be separated is the big problem. That's what God wants for the church. He wants us to be consecrated, separated to him, apart from the world, and consecrated to the Lord. After the angel appears to Samson's mother, the first thing she does is go and tell her husband. And the first thing her husband does is pray. He asks the Lord to have the angel return and teach us what to do for the child that is yet to be born. Tell us how to raise the child. The angel does return, and Manoah says, How are we to raise the child? And what does the angel say? He says the same thing he did the first time. Consecrate him to the Lord, don't cut his hair. Now this would never go over in the self-help section of how to raise a kid in a bookstore. They'll give you 49 different things. The angel says two things. They ask him the same question again. He gives them the same answer again. In other words, I've told you all you need to know. Just do it. You don't need anything else. Now, I'm not saying we don't need anything else, but that's all they needed at the time. Consecrating to the Lord, don't cut his hair. That's not exactly deep child-raising theology, but it's what God said. We always want more information, just like Samson's parents did, but evidently the Lord thinks that's enough. We need to act on the information that we have, rather than always asking for more. Reading closely, it appears that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are times in the Old Testament where Jesus takes on a form of a man, of an angel, for a brief period of time and appears to a person for a particular person and this appears to be one of those cases because he's not called a angel he's called the angel of the Lord only one when they ask him what's your name he says why do you ask my name for it is wonderful That means it's incomprehensible. You can't understand it. And then read verses 19 through 21. It says, For it came about, Manoah is going to make an offering to the Lord. 
And it says, For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew he was the angel of the Lord. The angel, the, the, the sacrifice is burning, the flames are going and the smoke are going up, and the angel steps into the flame and he goes up into the air with the sacrifice. So what's this mean? This is not just a, a sacrifice pointing to separation, to consecration, but it appears to be a sacrifice of the angel himself in the flame on the altar. It's reinforcing the fact that we need to be entirely consecrated to God. Not just in part. And here is an Old Testament image of the Lord sacrificing himself on the cross. Consecrating himself entirely to the Lord. And this is what Samson is meant to be. In the last couple of verses of the chapter... So Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die, for we have seen God. Because they know that the Old Testament says, you cannot see God and live. Our human structure cannot stand it, cannot stand to see the living God. He's so radiant and glorious. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from my hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Makes sense. God wanted to kill us. He'd already done it. So you don't have to worry about that. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson, and the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manadon between Zorah and Estel. The Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, began to stir him. So the child is born and his name is Samson. And nowhere do we find that God said that's what you're supposed to name him. So we're not sure whether the name just came from the parents or from, from God. But he grew and the Lord blessed him. And it says the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. How many times have you heard this story? Or how many times do you think Samson heard this story from his parents when he was growing up? About the angel appearing to him and what the angel had said to him. Uh, you know that the family probably said it many, many times. What the angel said. How he was to be consecrated to the Lord. The first part of this story really looks good Samson's going to be a judge he's separated to God with a Nazarite vow if this was a novel you want, you'd want to say let me get to the next chapter let me see what this guy's going to do 
Sadly, that's not what happens. His life is not a life that you want to copy. But it's still a life. He still belongs to God. He's still going to be a judge in Israel. He's still going to really put a dent into the Philistines. And at the end of his life, you're going to see him praying to God again. But all the way through, you're going to see his eyes, what he sees, causing him to sin and depart from God. The lesson for us is watch your eyes. Be careful what you see. Don't look at things and go, I want that, and I'm going to get it no matter what. It will certainly lead us to destruction. There are thousands of examples. You can find them in your own life. You can find them in your family. You can find them in society. Be careful what you see, what you want. Instead, look to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see the things that we don't normally see. And Lord, not only to see them, but to love what you show us and to be obedient to what you show us. And Lord, it's easy to start well and finish badly. We pray that, uh, Lord, we would finish strong, that we'd always keep our eyes on you, and that what is pleasing to you, Lord, would delight our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Part two later.